0: watched a video there comes from john chapter 7 starting verse 1 going through verse 13 title of today's message is timing is everything and i want to take us to open this message today i want to take us on a bit of a journey this morning i want you to imagine for a moment that god has given you a specific mission and a specific promise for your life today God has shown you that He is going to give you so much favor, so much blessing, and so much influence that your life, your very existence where you are right now, will change the spiritual condition of an entire city. God has shown you things in dreams. God has shown you things in visions. God has shown you things in His Word. God has shown you things in prayer. He has even well-respected and proven prophets of God speak over your life of exactly how he's going to move and fulfill this mission in your life. He's shown you the end from the beginning and it's a glorious life of blessing and a glorious life of kingdom purpose. The only thing God hasn't shown you yet is when. When it's going to happen. I think that the one, one of the biggest things that mess with people's faith and even can derail people's faith in the dream or the promise that God has given them is that time of waiting. The kingdom of God is told in the Bible that it is like a seed that is being planted. And right now in our area, we're in the planting season. The seed is in the ground, and now we have to face the heat of the summer, waiting for that thing which is planted to grow and produce a harvest. Spiritually speaking, planted seed represents this time of waiting, and this waiting time is meant to produce these disciplines of love and trusting God and His timing and His plan and His purposes. How many people here really like it when God makes you wait for something? I said, don't raise your hand because I don't have to change the sermon to one about lying. In my life, it's probably one of the things I struggle with the most. not trying to help out God in ways that will eventually damage the fullness of the promise that he wants to give me. And God does this in all of our lives. And one of the best examples from the Bible is the father of all faith, which is Abraham. When Abraham was 85 years old, he gets told, I'm going to give you a son. Abraham's like, God, I've been collecting Social Security for 20 years. My, you know, it's not physically possible for me or Sarah to have a son. God said, No, you will be the father of many nations. And you will have a son. And it says in the Bible in, in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed God, and he credited it to Abraham as righteousness because he believed. So Abraham goes, he puts on another section of his tent, he builds a crib, he builds a nursery, gets everything ready. And then one year goes by, still no baby. Two years goes by, still no son. Three years goes by, he starts getting impatient. Four years goes by, Sarah's like, hey, Abram, what's going on here? We're not having a kid. I got an idea. You see my maidservant Hagar over here? We'll just have her be the surrogate. Maybe God needed a little bit of help. So Abram takes Sarah's, or Sarah's advice, and Ishmael is born. Ishmael is the product of two people trying to help out God. And so the Bible calls Ishmael the son of the flesh, because it's the result of two humans stepping into place of God and trying to help him. And Ishmael's presence brings chaos in their home. Sarah resents him. Hagar thinks that now she's the first wife and she should be the the head lady in the home. Abraham's caught in the middle wondering why he ever listened to his wife instead of listening to God. And finally, 14 years after the initial promise when Abraham is now 99 years old, God tells him that he's going to be a father next year. It took 15 years for this promise to come to pass. Most of us can't wait 15 minutes after God tells us something. The blessing of the gift of God that came in our father's timing was not through any effort on the part of Abraham and Sarah, other than being obedient and being patient and waiting. And it's critically important for us to learn that discipline of waiting. Too many of us are are settling for the pain and chaos of an Ishmael when God has an Isaac that's just waiting for us if we'll be patient. And Jesus shows us how to do that here in John chapter 7. And that's what we're going to get into today. Let's just take a moment and pray. Father God, we thank you. Lord, this is one of the most hardest lessons for us as humans to learn. And that's a lesson of waiting for you to come through. Not trying to help you, not trying to do it in our own strength. But waiting on you and your timing for your promise to come through in our life. And Father, I just ask, Lord, that your word will penetrate into our hearts this morning and enable us to have the faith to wait on your timing and wait on your spirit to move and not go out in our own strength and mess everything up. Father, I ask this in your name. Amen. So what I want to look at this morning is how we can do this, what Jesus did and avoid having Ishmaels in our lives. Ishmaels that rob our blessing and our future from the one that God has for us. Cause His way is the right way. His way is the perfect way. And His way is the way that's going to bring us the maximum joy and enable us to be used to the maximum effectiveness in our, in His kingdom. And Jesus shows us a way. We saw in the video clip we watched of John chapter 7 there that Jesus' own brothers are telling him to go to Jerusalem. If we we're going to modernize it a little bit, basically what they were saying is, that, hey, Jesus, you're saying you're the Messiah. Then why are you messing around here in the rural area? Why are you messing around here in Galilee? Why aren't you down south? Why aren't you in the big city? Why aren't you over in where the Jewish religious leaders can see you. What are you doing around here for crying out loud? Jesus, we don't even have a McDonald's. There's no Walmart around here. There's nothing around here that does any good to the kingdom of God. He goes, put, they're basically saying, put up or shut up. If you think you're the Messiah, go show yourself to the leaders in Jerusalem. But Jesus didn't do this, and he answered them. He said in verse 6 of John chapter 7, My time is not yet here, but for you any time will do. You see, Jesus had a laser focus on God's will. And with God's will comes God's timing. And it has to do with God's methods. And nothing could sway Jesus from deviating from the path that God had for him. But how did Jesus do that? How did Jesus resist the urge to speed things along and just ride a wave of popularity into an earthly palace? Well, the first thing is that Jesus knew his calling. Jesus knew his calling. Jesus filtered everything through his calling and his mission. And we can learn from that because knowing what your calling is and what your mission is in this life is critical for the fullness of the blessing that God has for you. Hebrews 11.6 says, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And seeking God is not just about praying. Seeking God is not just about reading your Bible or doing good works. All those things are very important. All those things we are commanded to do, all those things are critical for your spiritual growth. But seeking God is also about knowing his mind, his heart, and his plan for you. And then you responding in obedience to that calling that he has. And everyone has a call of God upon their lives. Every single person here, every single person ever conceived of has a call of God upon their lives. We make the mistake in the modern church of equating a call of God to a full-time vocational work like pastor or, or preacher or something like that, something within the church. Actually, if you read the Bible, that's the least of the callings that God has. Everyone looks at the pastor and says, wow, they have this incredible calling and blessing on his or her life. But no, that's not really the case when you think about it. And if I can do anything for you today, I want to show you the incredible God, plan that God has for your life. And it has nothing to do with who stands up here. It has everything to do with you standing, stepping out in faith and obedience and following what he has. Let me illustrate this for you by asking you a question. I don't know if you've ever been in a mansion or a really rich person's house and walked around and and you get the tour by usually by the owner or a servant of his um, of some type. And they show you the, the huge bathroom, they show you the swimming pool, they show you the hot tub, they show you the exercise room, they take you into the main living room and show you all the expensive electronics and, and the theater seats and all these kind of things in the house. And they bring you down to the wine cellar and they show you the rec room and, and just all these things in the that are amazing inside this house. How many people have ever walked away from something like that and said, gosh, I wish they would have brought me in that sub-basement and showed me those foundations of the house. Bring me down where the cobwebs are and show me where the, the foundations of that house are. But that's what the pastor is. The pastor is simply the foundation of the house. He's the thing that everybody gets to walk on. You guys are the mansion. You guys are the things that people get to marvel at. You guys are carrying that message of God out into the community. You guys are the embassy of the Holy Spirit. You're the living mansion of Jesus that gets to show the entire world how awesome your daddy is. I'm just the foundation. I'm just the the coach and the trainer. And that's how Jesus understood his calling. He knew exactly what he was meant to do. In Matthew chapter 20, he said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life for a ransom for many. That is what he focused everything through. Now, if you compare that to what Jesus' brothers were saying, Jesus' response makes much more sense. He filtered that that request by his brothers through that mission statement and said, yeah, that doesn't match up. I'm I'm not going to go there. And that's one of the secrets of spiritual success. Knowing what it is that God has for you to do on this earth. And then shaping your whole life around that. Instead of simply existing. Instead of just waiting for that big thing to happen in your life. To find that one thing that God has for you. And pursue that with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Another way Jesus succeeded in God's will and plan for his life. Is that he understood timing. Timing. He understood that everything is perfect in God's time, not his time. Years ago, there was a, and he's still um, kind of the rage in church leadership, an author named um, John Maxwell. His books were required reading in most Bible colleges. And within one of his books called the 21 Essential Laws of Leadership, John Maxwell taught that there is a law of timing. And within that law of timing, he gives these four truths. He said, if you do the wrong action at the wrong time, you have a disaster. It's just everything will fall apart. It'll fail miserably. He said, if you do the right action, but you do it at the wrong time, you'll have this massive resistance from everybody around you, and it'll eventually fail. If you do the wrong action at the right time, that's considered a a mistake or a failure on your part. But if you do the right action at the right time, you have success and massive growth of your organization. Now, if you apply that to what Jesus' brothers are suggesting, suggesting to him, we know that from reading the scriptures that Jesus' brothers don't even agree with what he thinks his mission is. They think he's gone off the deep end a little bit. That's why they're throwing out this challenge to him right here. They're kind of saying as the, the brothers needling each other, "Well, oh, hey, you think you're all that? Go to Jerusalem. Let's see what happens. That's, that's, that's kind of what's, what's going on here in Jesus' family. So if you look at the hypothetical situations, if Jesus had taken their advice, if you would have had the wrong action at the wrong time, it would have been Jesus going to Jerusalem two years early in the fall instead of the spring. It's fall time now. Jesus has to go to Jerusalem during Passover to give his life as a ransom for many to fulfill scripture and, and prophecy. So if he goes in the fall, he's going to blow that right out of the water. If you would have went right there, Pontius Pilate was just becoming the, the governor of Judea at that time. He came in swinging the hammer. He came in laying down the law. If Jesus would have shown up in Jerusalem during that time, say, talking about kingdom of God and, and I'm the king and all this kind of stuff, Pilate would have chopped his head off immediately. Matter of fact, Pilate, when Jesus was crucified, was under instruction from Rome that he better chill out a little bit or he was going to be removed. He was under that pressure because he had slammed down on the Jews way too hard. So, if Jesus would have done this wrong action at the wrong time, the whole plan of salvation would have been wrecked right there. If Jesus would have done the right action at the wrong time, let's say Jesus waits till the following spring and goes during Passover, but two years early a very similar result would have happened. Jesus really wasn't that well-known yet. He didn't have the fame throughout the entire country that he did when he went to Jerusalem um, two years later. He wouldn't have had any public support, and he would have shown up at the temple and started preaching, and everybody would have, would have just looked at him and said, you're a carpenter's son, get out of here. You never went to college. Nobody would have listened to him. He would have had a massive failure and, rebe- and resistance in the people. So if he did the wrong action at the right time, let's say Jesus in the third year of ministry, he goes up during Passover. So he's doing the right thing, or he's he's at the right time, but then he decides I'm going to show up with all my followers from Galilee and proclaim myself the king of the Jews and try to and try to um, promote myself as the the king and and kick Herod and. Out of his palace, kick Pilate out and and take over Jerusalem. The wrong action at the right time. Well, you would have had a civil war. The Herodians would have risen up, the Pharisees would have risen up, the Sadducees would have risen up, and you would have had this massive civil war, and and Rome would have came in and destroyed the the whole thing to quash it. However, the plan of salvation remained intact because Jesus understood his calling. And he understood there is a correct timing involved with that calling. And therefore, he came as the Old Testament prophesied that he would. He came as a suffering servant, not as a conquering king. He came during Passover. And this right action at the right time yielded the massive success. Because Jesus was faithful both in the action and in the timing You and I are in this building today. Jesus knew it was all about waiting on God and his timing. The Bible says that we have a high priest that sympathizes with our weaknesses because he went through every single temptation that we did, yet he did it perfectly without sin. He understands the struggle that we have when it comes to waiting on God's timing, and he is there to help us through that. Earth, Jesus' earthly ministry began and ended with an attack by Satan himself. But Jesus still overcame those obstacles while waiting. During the wilderness temptation, Satan comes and tries to trip up Jesus by tempting him in three different ways. And there are the same three different ways that God will tempt you today. Today. And what, God, and what the devil is trying to do is circumvent God's sovereign and complete blessing for you by having you move out too early or too late to um, get the maximum blessing of God upon your life. Now, when Jesus was tempted, he had been fasting for 40 days. So he's a bit hungry. And so the first temptation that Satan throws in front of him says, Turn these stones into bread. He said, why are you out here in the middle of the desert starving to death when you spoke the universe into existence? All you have to do is just command stones to turn into bread. Matter of fact, Jesus could have just said, let there be bread. And there would have been bread. Best bread that you ever would have eaten. Jesus could have done that. Jesus could have used his divine power to satisfy his own needs. I want us to understand something this morning about our lives. And this is something that that goes right into the heart of practically every struggle we have. Whether you're Christian or not, this truth still applies. It's not about you. Your life was never meant to be about you. It's not about me. It's not about this church. It's about Jesus. You want to know the meaning of life? It's about that God has called and given each one of you a calling and a mission. All the talents that you have in life, even if it doesn't seem like you can do anything special, God has still given you talents in life. He hasn't given those for you. He hasn't given you, given you talents so that you can use them to make yourself famous or to, to make other people admire you. Those of us who have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior have the Holy Spirit within us to super, just to supercharge those talents and gifts. To make God's kingdom famous, not our kingdom. They all come from God. You're not to use those powers for yourself. And that's what Satan was trying to get Jesus to do. Jesus is, or Satan was saying, Jesus, you created everything. Some god you are. You're a sweaty, smelly, hungry mess in the desert, and all you have to do is use your own abilities to for yourself. Speak the word and you'll be fed. Use your powers for yourself. Use your talents for yourself. Use whatever God has given you for yourself. That same temptation is being thrown at God's people today. And how many lies do we see in our society that are wrecked from God from people using They're God-given gifts for themselves. One glance at just the entertainment industry shows you that. It's also one of the biggest infections of our nation today. People are so interested in being famous or even living in infamy, you have children shooting schools just so they can get on TV. The second temptation Satan throws at Jesus he tells him to throw yourself off the top of the temple. In other words, show yourself to the people right now. You say you're Messiah, put up or shut up. Let's see it, Jesus. If you want to modernize it and, and look at all the, the intricacies of what Satan was saying, he's saying, you just need to reveal yourself right now, Jesus. You don't have to take the slow road of three and a half years of walking all the way around Israel. You don't have to deal with the hot, dusty highways. You don't have to deal with the arguing with the Pharisees. You don't have to deal with being this poor itinerant preacher that exists on the mercy of others to find a place to lay your head. He goes, right now, I can book you in at the Jerusalem equivalent of Madison Square Gardens. He goes, all you have to do is do something incredibly miraculous in a place. Everybody will see it. And if right now at the temple, there are hundreds of people gathered, if you stand there at the top, throw yourself off, and all of a sudden angels appear and lower you down, who can argue with that, Jesus? Who is going to be able to argue with that kind of a miracle? They'll believe you, and you don't have to wait. Just take the shortcut. And in our lives, that temptation to take that shortcut is huge. Just give a little bit. Maybe just give a little bit of honesty at the job. Play the political game. Use gossip to your advantage. There's actually a book about that. Claim credit to yourself and maybe not your team. Take out your opponent, no matter what it takes, and rise above the crowd. And that need to take famous or to be famous by taking a shortcut was seen in the 1994 U.S. Figure Skating Championships. Most people know the name Tanya Harding. Tanya Harding and her husband conspired to take out her biggest rival, Nancy Kerrigan, by bashing her knee in with a baton right before the, the finals of the U.S. Figure Skating Championship. Tanya Harding ended up losing everything, trying to take a shortcut to Olympic gold. And now she, her, her very name is a byword of a cheater, and a, a schemer, and somebody who has no honor. Somebody allowed her ambition to do the unthinkable to get ahead. Shortcuts are dangerous because God has a time for your your talent to be shown to the world, and you have to trust Him to wait for that. The third way Satan tempted Jesus, that shows us how to, um, shows him trying to circumvent God's timing, is by saying, by telling Jesus, I'll give you what you want. I'll give you the entire world, paid in full. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. Jesus, you don't need to go to the cross. Jesus, you don't even have to wait. Just change your object of worship. Worship me in my ways instead of God's. And when you read and you study the temptation of Jesus, you see that the first two temptations of Jesus were really all about the third. Jesus using his power from himself would have been falling into self-worship. And self-worship at its core is really Satan worship. Because you're taking your eyes off of God and putting it on you and your wisdom. Jesus making himself famous by performing a miracle in front of the entire Jewish ruling clan would have fallen into Satan's trap of seeking fame for oneself but finally satan takes off the mask and shows exactly what he wants which is jesus's worship and it's the same thing he wants from us he wants our worship jesus was able to resist these by fo- resist following these temptations by understanding his calling knowing and abiding in god's timing and overcoming the temptations and obstacles thrown in his path and we can under overcome these by following the same principles and following the same principles that are found in the book of Hebrews. book of Hebrews tells us the way to live a successful life before God and to trust in His timing and His purpose. When It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He scorned its shame and sat down on the right hand at the throne of God. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Whenever that road seems long, keep your eyes on Jesus. Whenever it seems like God's never going to come through, keep your eyes on Jesus. Whenever it seems like it's too long, remember Moses. He had to wait 80 years. Keep your eyes on Jesus. God is never late. Ever late. And if we can do that, if we can trust in God, then we can share in Jesus' triumph. One of the biggest hindrances to modern spiritual growth is that our attention spans and our tolerance for waiting is at an all-time low. We're not used to waiting anymore. You remember back Probably back in the 80s when Walmart first started coming around, and they had the ad that came out and said, "You'll always be next in line." Now they don't even have checkers; they have where you can check yourself out, and you don't have to wait in any lines. Want some information? You don't have to go to a library. Pull out your smartphone. We have lost the ability to wait in our in our culture, and. It shows in our spiritual growth now. People can't be troubled to wait at all. They want everything right now. But waiting is what builds faith. Waiting is what gives us perseverance. Waiting is what really cements those lessons that God is trying to show us deep within our spirit. Waiting is a fact of human existence and it's vital, vitally necessary to spiritual growth. If you want the triumphs that you see in the Bible, if you want the blessings that God wants to give you, you have to submit to God's timing for it. You can't hurry it, and you're not going to change His mind, and you're not going to change His timetable. The only thing you can do is derail it by insisting that your plan and your timing is better. So let's all rise. I want to take just a moment this morning Just in silent prayer and ask God to show us where we might be meddling in His divine timetable. And allow Him to show us that and allow Him to release the blessing of patience and the blessing of trust and the blessing of faith into our lives.